Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to Standby for Tones podcast. My name is Sam. It is good to see you again. And we are so excited to bring to you another episode of a fun and exciting podcast. We got a lot in store tonight. But first, I want to uh, you know remind you guys about our website. You can visit us, visit us at www.standbyfortones.com. Get our books on Amazon. We got two books out there. We have our free app. We have all sorts of resources, our brain dump sheet. So just come visit us, whether it's by Facebook, Amazon, or our website. And thank you so much for joining us every every time we come out here. So today we got a pretty big episode. We're going to introduce somebody who's kind of behind the scenes most of the time. And he's one of my favorite guys. We met quite a long time ago doing education uh, for our local ambulance agency. This is Dr. Burtis. And uh, we're going to let Dr. Burtis talk here a little bit. I got some questions for him. And Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, it's, it's a fun opportunity to be here. And so, yes, I uh, am a full-time emergency room doctor is kind of what my jam is, just a regular doctor, I'll say that. Ah, and, uh, <laughs> more than just a regular doctor, we have fun, regular come guy. on. Uh, but I, uh, I've served as a medical director for about the last eight years, both in fire-based EMS, private EMS, and, and help supervise some critical care teams as well. So nice, I've had a, got my feet wet doing that, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, dude, yeah. and we've uh, we've worked together for uh, quite a few years now. I can't remember; it's probably been, you know, been in the area probably yeah. what four or five years now. Yeah, about five years now. Yeah, yeah. about five years now. So, uh, primarily an ER doc, gone uh, medical director. Why the why the big shift there? Yeah, um, it was you know it started a while back. I had a really good mentor uh, that kind of introduced me to EMS uh, when I lived out in another state and. Uh, gave me the opportunity to be like an assistant. And then, you know, I became a full-time director at another agency, but I, it kind of was, uh, I had a lot of inspiration from family members growing up that were in EMS. I kind of looked at what they would do and I was inspired by that. And then when I um, was in medical school, um, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Mm -hmm. so one of the requirements, uh, for one of our rotations, we had to ride with EMS and I remember one of the field supervisors for the Milwaukee fire department took me out and we ran a code. I did my first chest compressions and, you know, they threw me in the back of the ambulance and took every turn they could, you know, to <laughs> shake me up in the back. And, you know, I came oh, stumbling man. out, barely could stand up, but I ran my first code and I got, I got hooked on that adrenaline. And then I sort of kind of felt a kinship to EMS providers, you know, because I felt like my job was very similar to, I, you know, I wouldn't be on the scene, but, you know, I'd have people dropped off on my doorstep and it would be kind of like those, those basic, you know, I, I just found that kinship to them more than other, other providers in the healthcare system. So it was a chance for me to kind of go back to those roots and sort of look at, become an advocate for EMS. That's awesome, man. Like we don't get that a whole lot kind of in our realm. Cause you know, I grew up in a very small rural, rural EMS agency, you know, there's like, you know, couple ambulances, less than 2000 people in our, in our hometown. And, you know, we didn't get that interaction. Like we, uh, we see in these bigger rural facility facilities, what we're able to offer in, in, you know, Southern Idaho. How do you feel about, uh, you know, docs being more involved in some of those EMS, like right along rotations? Do you feel like that's a good thing for them to go out and actually see what we do? Yeah, I, I really do. I think that it's, uh, especially opening, and I think nurses should do that too. And locally we do that, but Basically, you know, to realize how hard it is to, you know, 
get a patient history or just even find out what's going on at the scene half the time, you know, with people, the chaos that's, uh, that you run into and all the, you know, just, there's a lot more variables at play. And so I think it really gives a lot more respect to EMS when, when people can see that. I think we forget in the medical, in the hospital side of things, we have a lot more structure. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think that it, it would be very helpful for more docs to experience that. Yeah. Kind of an off question here from what we kind of got planned. What do you, uh, how far along were you when you first went on that, uh, that first code and did your, did your first chest compression? Yeah, I was a third year medical student. (laughs) So it was like this, there's like weird rotation where we did anesthesia. So we did a bunch of intubations Mm -hmm. and then we, uh, you know, like we had to, okay, oh, by the way, you know, you have to run with the fire department and, uh, you know, it was kind of cool. I mean, I felt like they treated me very well. They let us, you know, they, you know, I got to eat dinner with them. Like that yeah. was something like, Hey, you're work with us. You're going to eat with us. And that camaraderie side of, side of things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I really had a good experience with that. And so, um, I forgot what the other part of your question was, but uh, oh, what, what, yeah. where was that? Yeah. yeah. I was just a third year medical student and I, I thought I was going to, you know, I was really interested in surgery at that point. Yeah. And I think that was probably one of the formative experiences that made me kind of think, Hey, I actually kind of like, emergency stuff it's kind of cool to get in there and take action and be unable to call shots when things are hard and Mm -hmm. so that was an opportunity uh that that was very formative that's cool because i mean like you know paramedics we go through you know a year at max two years of training and then it's just like okay here's all your didactic education here's some ambulance ride time and then it kind of just kind of falls into all of these really complex procedures that were taught over a year compared to, you know, our, the, the physician and nursing and NP counterpart. And it just seems, uh, it's just wild to me to think that it was three years into your, your medical school more than anything before, you know, you really got that, that first emergency hands-on, you know, patient contact in that kind of realm. And that's just a, it's really kind of cool to me and interesting at the same time because we see these, uh, we go through ACLS with a lot of physicians when we do our every two years and we get the hospitalists and, you know, some other people that uh, we don't really interact with during cardiac arrest. And it's always just kind of kind of fun to watch their, their brains think kind of down to, you know, the higher, lower end of our spectrum of our, of our cardiac care in those situations. But like, you know, you guys are human too and go out and do all of these things and who knows where you could be. It's just it's fascinating to me the the vast difference of you know education and then some of the similarities in in our scope which is uh just kind of one of those things that uh has always kind of piqued my my thought of like you know where can we take paramedicine in the in the years to come and uh you know it's just kind of an interesting thought oh yeah um it's interesting uh, you know you say like the scope of practice isn't really that different and that's the honest truth that's one of the things i noticed where you know, I, I'll do, you know, I intubate central lines, those kind of things, or maybe just a few procedures that I do that mm-hmm. you don't do any EMS or critical care, but for the most part, like the hard, like hard, um, procedures that are really high risk, yeah. you know, crikes, things like that. Those are all things that paramedics can do, or at least in, depending on your state, of course. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it kind of inspiring to me, you know, I get into this job and I'm like, you know, becoming, you know, or at least trying to become an expert in resuscitation. That's kind of what my opportunity or my job is. And so, you know, I think, well, hey, actually, by the way, there's a whole group of people who are generally very good people, you know, 
want to help others and they want to do these same things. You just need to jump on board and help them out. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was like, well, who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah. Right. And so that was kind of how I, that was one of my other inspirations to, to kept becoming EMS. Cause you know, like, Hey, Oh, I'll have another funny story for you if it's not too, too <laughs> oh, much of a yeah, traction, but no. when I was in residency, so I'm in a brand new emergency resident, you know, and I was uh, in Ohio, uh, Ohio state. I think I can say that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I was doing my training and one of my senior, uh, residents, you know, she's uh German mm-hmm. and she had a very thick accent, you know, <laughs> she's like yelling at me, you know, Bertus, come in here, intubate, <laughs> you know? And then, so I was like, you know, I'd never done an intubation before and the Columbus fire and EMS guys rolling with a dude and he's tripod and looking bad, you know? So she gives me a, like a Mac three and a ET tube, you know? And she's like, <laughs> You know, and I didn't, I, I kind of just zone out at this point and I oh, do, I just, man. you know, it was great though. It's like my first, you know, live tube. I just, you know, first try, pass it, you know, I'm like, boom, you know, feeling good. And then, um, you know, the, um, you know, the paramedics are all there, you know, with their eyes are all huge. And I'm like, what, what happened? You know? And they're like, oh, well, didn't you see that your uh, senior resident just prepped the neck? <laughs> like <laughs> she put, uh, you know, beta all down his neck, got ready to do a crike. And that was, I, I totally missed that cause I was in the zone, oh, but you man. know, like it was, it was sort of a funny thing where, you know, I, that was another time where the EMS guys got to see my first. And so oh, it was kind of fun to Columbus fire. That is EMS so guys. funny. Yeah. 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 Oh, you do good impressions, man. That was oh, good. Yeah. Well, I don't know. She <laughs> might, dip. I won't say her name, but she was really cool. And, uh, you know, she was, it's, uh, it was kind of fun because, you know, she could have easily wanted to do that intubation on her own, you yeah. know, cause she, you know, people, residents always want to get more procedures, but she, Hey, I'm going to take this new guy under my wing and I'm going to, you know, get him out there and do it. And so it that's was, it was so pretty cool. cool. Yeah. I, that's what I love about my, my new position now is like the amount of opportunity to hone my skills has been, has been really nice. And you know, it, uh, it takes a special kind of, you know, preceptor in our world or FTO or, you know, an attending physician or something like that to allow those things because it's, it's hard to let go of that. And, you know, it's really cool that uh, you guys get to experience that same thing. And I mean, I'm sure you run into the same situation where you'll get the, you know, the, the crotchety or crusty old doc or something like that, that doesn't want to give it up or anything like that, but, uh, or the, the really hard preceptor in that realm. But, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy how similar the, the, the kind of paths are, but how short one is versus the other. Yeah. But we kind of talked about uh, how you got in, you know, why you're passionate about it, which I love. And uh, what do you do on your off time? Like, you can't be a doc all the time, so you gotta gotta love, you know, doing something else. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. I mean, I'm into a lot of different things. Uh, kind of enduro, motocross stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm hunting outdoors. Obviously, I'm in Idaho, and so yep. um, a lot of that. Uh, gotta eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of, uh, in the winter, you'll probably catch me in a duck blind most days yeah. when I'm not working. So, yep. yeah. Yep. Skiing, snowboarding, yep. family oh, time, yeah. all oh, the absolutely. fun things, right? Yeah, all those things. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And, uh, yeah, it, that's the nice thing about our area is we get so many cool opportunities to do everything. I mean, like, summer times are great. Winter times are great. You know, this winter's kind of been, been sucky, but, you know, that's just been kind of part of it, it seems like. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's an important part of uh, if you're like in the pre-hospital setting or, you know, kind of, you know, emergency medicine or EMS, it's like you really have to have good hobbies. I think mm-hmm. that's how you keep a work-life balance. So you must yeah. have to play as hard as you work. I think that's uh, really important to your well-being. Yeah. <laughs> what makes you passionate about being an EMS and, you know, flight, critical care medicine, ground, paramedic? Like, what is the, 
what's behind your passion? Mm. I mean, I think it's always, you know, do it. I think there's an appeal to doing the hardest job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, you can, uh, you know, be a work in the clinic and this is no diss on a primary care or, or you know, anybody, you know, mm-hmm. in, in like the routine care setting, but you know, it's hard. It's like the challenge, you know, you have to think quickly and you have to, you know, have a lot of knowledge base on a lot of different subjects. And so I think that's uh, a lot of the appeal for me is yeah. just to be, it's the challenge that it presents. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think I realize, you know, I, I, sometimes I'm jealous when, you know, I talk to a hospitalist or, uh, you know, another doctor, a specialist to have such a narrow scope of mm-hmm what you have to do and that you can know so much about one specific subject. And, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be the master, you know, and, and that, but that's kind of okay because it gives me plenty to work on for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you say, uh, you know, kind of that master word kind of jumped out in your last sentence there. I feel like a lot of, you know, EMTs, paramedics, nurses, especially when they get into like full-time ambulance jobs or go start flying on whatever realm, they want to be a master at everything that they do. Is that, do you think that's even a possibility? Like to have a master with, at what you're doing with so many different topics that we have to go over? I mean, I think certainly you can become a master of specifics, you know, like I'm the best airway person or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, I think it's the pursuit of mastery that's what's the most important part because I think being realistic, you're never going to be the best at it, but you have to have that lifelong respect for the career and the job. And I think if you lose that, it's when you find yourself at the most risk when you're like, oh, I think I know everything I need to know. Um, and so anyway, I, I think that, uh, it's a definitely a worthy pursuit. Uh, but I think you sh- no matter what, you know, it's, it's remarkable to me how, you know, people who have been doing it a long time tend to be the most humble and, and we can talk more about that, but you know, I think that that's a big reflection of how it's the pursuit of mastery. Not, yeah, I love that. I, that's what I just wrote down in this, in our little notebook here is cause I take, try to take little notes as we talk because you know, come up with taglines and, you know, ideas for classes down the road. And the pursuit of mastery just sounds like a incredible, you know, headline for an educational series. So oh, I love that because <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Yeah. There's just always so many things that you can become better at. You can always learn more about something and things are, you know, medicine changes too, right? So yeah. being on the cutting edge, I think there's been a plenty of opportunities where medics uh, have come up to me and said, hey, why don't we do this protocol? You mm-hmm. know, like this is going to, you know, a lot of organizations I've worked at before did it this way. And, you know, we have a good discussion about that. And, you know, a lot of times that's actually become how we end up doing things. Yeah. So there's just a, there's so many things that you can do and uh, learn about. I think that's what is the appeal. Yeah, which is awesome, which kind of brings me into my next realm of, you know, what is it like on a normal day-to-day basis as a medical director and, you know, an on-call emergency medical physician for agencies? Like, what it, what does a normal day entail for you? I mean, like, is it pretty rough? Do you get a lot of phone calls? Do you get a lot of med control contacts? I mean, like, how do you go about your day? Yeah, I mean, most days are just like any any other day. I, I work, like, full-time at, at the yeah. emergency department where I work, and, you know, I'll get calls uh, periodically. Um you know, I'd say it's punctuated by just kind of routine to like, 
something bad went down. <laughs> you got to know about it, right? Um, so there's a lot of uh, variability there. But for the most part, it's uh, not a huge time pull for me. I mean, at least I don't feel like it is because I enjoy it. But, yeah, you know, a, f- a few phone calls, like if it's, you know, from my one of my medics or, you know, one of the supervisors mm-hmm. or one of the critical care teams needs some help. I like those calls. Um, and it's to me, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Yeah. Which is nice because, you know, before you came, uh, we had some, you know, differences in thought, thought mm-hmm. processes on, you know, medical direction. Oh, I, th- sure. I think it's Absolutely. a really great tool for us to be able to have and, you know, having that ability to be able to make the call. But do you feel like it puts you guys at more of a liability or risk or, I mean, like, is there anything that gets put on the table for you guys? Like, do you get, end up taking that patient that we call you on? Is that like a, we call you for like a refusal or something like that? Like, hey, just so you know, like this guy really doesn't want to go. I really think he should go. Does that put any liability or risk on your guys' plate? I mean, I think it does to some degree. Um, I try not to preoccupy myself with that because, you know, it's like I'm here to do the right thing and that's what yeah. I have to leave at the end of the day. But yeah, if they, if, if I get a med control call, um, you know, online, I mean, for the most part, you know, our system is pretty serious about refusals and things like that where, mm-hmm. you know, people need to explain like the risks of what their decisions are and things. So I don't think so really. Um, we do have a a policy, a malpractice policy for EMS that, yeah. that I'm uh, part of my contract. And so, you know, I just try to follow standard of care practice and, mm-hmm. you know, be an advocate uh, for, for the EMS. And I, that's kind of what I worry about. But sure, there's some liability in there. That's, you know, not to be completely disregarded. But um, again, uh, you know, I it's uh, not not what I'm really worried about. Yeah, which is which is great because, you know, Isaac and I talked a little bit about it last uh, on our last episode of like if we preoccupy so much of our of our patient care practice with, you know, the fears of, you know, you know, charting, like the more we do, the more we have to chart and blah and all this other stuff. You're kind of your patient care suffers. You kind of get an operational drift where you start to not practice at the, the level you once performed at because you're, you know one refuse always think like I'm one refusal away from losing my license or something like that. So it's nice to know that we have that backing from our medical direction side of things that, you know, we do have that malpractice. If something were to go haywire or something like that, we always do our, our due diligence in those situations, but it is always something that kind of comes up to the mind. So I've never really kind of gotten into the background of what it really looks like on your guys's end. So this is a, this is good for me. And uh, I think this will be good for a lot of people to kind of hear I don't know, uh, some of the previous agencies I've come, I've come from, we've had, you know, anywhere from two to four or one medical directors. So I don't know how that feels with, uh, just you being the sole guy, the man, the myth, the legend. So, <laughs> you know, do you feel like a, a multi medical directorship would be a good thing at some point or oh, certainly. as it grows or, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, um, so in one of my, uh, endeavors, I'm, a, you know, a co-director of a critical care team. And so, you know, it is nice because there's a lot of things where, you know, I want a policy to read a certain way that, mm-hmm. you know, I can get a, si- a second perspective. So there's certainly benefits to that, to yeah. having people. And there's um, a lot of, you know, breadth with medical knowledge. So mm-hmm. if you have a director that's maybe more experienced with critical care ICU as opposed to, you know, an ER doc like me, uh, that can really be a benefit. So, and we, ha- we use physician advisors as well. So, oh, cool. Yeah. So we, our critical care um, subspecialists in our hospital will help us with protocols if we have questions. And so it's a, you know, 
I think there's, uh, you never really have to, as a medical director, I'd, I never really have to operate in a silo. I think that I have plenty of resources that I can tap and most people are generally willing to assist with EMS because of what it represents. You know, it's kind of like the yeah. good frontier of getting out there trying to do your best and, and, and save somebody's life. So generally it's pretty easy to recruit people to, to help you. Yeah. So I love that. And, you know, kind of while we're on the topic, what as EMS providers like, like myself, what do you feel like we don't think about when we, you know, come to you guys for help? Do you feel like we, you know, come guns a blazing a little bit too much? Maybe, I don't know, is there an element, I mean, there's always going to be that element of, you know, the adrenaline, the, you know, we want to get stuff done and frustration, but is there things that you see from, you know, providers from around our area or just in general from your experience that, you know, it, uh, it changes how you interact with that, that said provider at any time or. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think, um, let me think about your question a little. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. No, no, no. It was a good question. It really was. That. I just need to kind of fra- phrase what I want to say. So, I mean, there's a whole spectrum of presentation to how people approach me as a medical director. Yeah. You know, to, there is some very overly aggressive ones. You know, um, I sk- the thing that I think I would say the most is when you approach your medical director with something you want to see changed, you know, you need to be ready to be a part of that change. Mm-hmm. So coming up to the director and being like, hey, I think we should be doing this you know, um, I think you should have some kind of plan yeah, and be willing to do that uh, to yeah. help, you know, your director, you know, like myself and I'm sure m- the majority, there is actually in existence people who just do EMS medicine yeah, um, in some of the bigger cities, but for the most common, uh, you know, medical director, you're going to have a guy that works a full-time job and yep. he's doing it on the side. So, you know, be ready to be part of the solution. Don't just complain about things that you want to see changed. I think um, most medical directors want things to move in a good direction, but there's a lot of procedure and infrastructure that needs to go into place to make a change. And so you have to be willing to be a part of that. And so I think that's what I would say is probably the hardest thing when, you know, there's so many things I would love to do and want to do, but um, I really, you know, need people to, you know, Kind of pony up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you need to be a part of it if that's yeah. what you want. So yeah. yeah, no, I mean, like, because that's huge. I mean, coming back to you, get, like, I mean, like, any time that, whether it was with our previous medical directors or you or something like that, I felt like I did an okay job that if I wanted to make a suggestion that there was some follow-through with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we worked together as a, in a different capacity when I was in clinical education for the um, for the system we worked for. And, uh you know, that uh, it really kind of opened my eyes a little bit more to in that capacity to kind of see some of these things like, you know, people would come to me all the time and be like, we should do this. It's like, OK, like I'm swamped right now. Yeah. Like help a brother out. Mm-hmm. And like if you want to put some of the legwork in this, we can absolutely look at doing something. But, you know, that uh, that uh, that legwork never seemed to uh, to come through sometimes. Uh, a lot of the times it did. I will say that. But there was a, those, those subset of times where, like, there was really, really good ideas. And, you know, they would get kind of backburnered a little bit until, you know, we kind of got some of that legwork done. So, you know, there's so many uh, so many moving parts to our relationship between EMS provider and medical directorship that I don't think really a lot of people understand. What do you think is the, the number one thing? Like, if you're going to go, say it's me and I come to you, what's the number one thing you want me to uh, – to say if I've got an idea or, you know, a question, comment, concern, or like I need to put urgency behind a patient or something like that. So this would be like you're bringing a patient in yeah, and I'm like there. Yeah. I just, 
I yeah, mean, we'll role play a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, I think for the most part, um, so where we're at, we may be a little unique because we actually give report to the docs. Yeah. Like that's one of the things my group has been very serious about, which I actually value that very highly because it creates a good bond with EMS. Um, yeah. But um, so in that scenario, it's usually you know, just basically like, Hey doc, this guy's sick. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Yeah. You know, if, and if I trust you and I've known you long enough, you don't need to say anymore. I'll probably be standing up from my chair and walk into that room, yeah. uh, you know, because you said that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's a good part of it. Um, and I think, you know, along with your previous question, I, I thought of something else I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, so what, it, what are things I wish people would do? And honestly, I wish the people would talk, ask me their questions more. Yeah. You know, I think people are generally afraid to pick up the phone and call me. I try to give my cell phone number to my medics. Um, I actually, you know, I'm almost, I don't think people call me as much as I thought they would. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, I, I really think that, you know, if there was a conflict or an issue or mm-hmm. whatever, I, I kind of like, you know, I, I don't mind taking that call yeah. because it can, I can get ahead of uh, anything and, and be ready to, to be your advocate or ally in, in certain things. And so, yeah, I mean, that's one thing I wish, you know, people would be more open to contacting me yeah. sometimes. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, I think there's a kind of a, a stigma on our end more than anything of like, you know, the more we call the medical director, the more they feel like we're incompetent. And I don't know if that's truly a case or not, but like, you know, for the longest time, like you would get kind of kind of shit on for calling a medical director by your peers more than anything, mm-hmm. not by the medical director himself. It's like, oh, you had to call the medical director on that. Like, what are you, an idiot? Yeah. 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 That's definitely something we should look at changing just because, you know, I think um, I, I think there is that kind of bravado of like, hey, I got this. You know, I don't want to see like seem like I need help. But it's like, you know you're kind of a fool if you don't seek help, you know, because I mean, I think that's the way we got to change our, the, you know, EMS is sort of like that. We're strong, independent people. We don't need to ask for help. Right. You know, that's something I think we should probably evolve as a, as a, you know, an organization or service to change just because, you know, if you think like that, I mean, there's, you could do so much better with help. I've learned some of my most valuable lessons by, you know, basically phoning a friend, Mm -hmm. like, I can't tell you how many times that I've called a doc and been like, hey, this is what's going on. This is kind of my path that I'm going down. Is this something that you kind of agree on? Do you, mm-hmm. uh, from anything that I've told you, do you notice anything different? And yeah. they'll be like either yes or no. And then, I mean, like say it was something like treating a hypertensive patient. Like I want to give this medication to bring their blood pressure down. They're not having any stroke like symptoms, but you know, it's a hypertensive crisis. Like, how do you feel about this? And they'll be like, yeah, that's great. Like, let's start them on that, uh, reassess their vital signs in 10 minutes, and we'll see you when you get here. Yeah. Like, it's that easy. I mean, it's not, it's nothing to be afraid of, and it's nothing to really, you know, kind of put your tail between your legs on by, by any means and make you look dumb. So, I mean, like, we're not yeah. here. We're all here for the same goal, and that's to take care of people and, you know, of course, come home safe when it comes down to flying. So, um, I don't know how I turned dictation on our notes here. They got all messed up. But oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, that's one thing that I, I hope that, you know, we can um, get away from is feeling like you're, you're afraid of looking dumb or something like that yeah. for asking a question. Um, and I, I think that, you know, I realize from where I sit, there's like a whole spectrum of a provider, right? Like, yeah. you know, the new medic is going to need a little more help, right? Yeah. And so I don't look at that as like, I try to see people for what their potential is rather than what they are at that moment, right? Um, so I think about, you know, hey, 
you know, this is a new medic. Like he, he, he's nervous about this. He's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, what can I do to help him? And I I think that's the way I like to approach it, you know, and that's, I wouldn't say that's how everyone approaches it. And I wouldn't say that's how people approached me when I was in training. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of like, Hey, you're an idiot. You know (laughs) what I mean? A lot of that. And I, I learned from that too, but I just think that's not the way we should go with education. I think it should be this, uh, you know, bringing everybody up. Yeah. You know, no, absolutely. And there's so much of, you know, so much changing in the world of education from, you know, Sims are being released before simulation dates. You can kind of get a a glimpse of what we're going to be going over and kind of building that education on more of a positive aspect, which, you know, in my old, you know, I've been doing, you know, being an EMS for almost 15 years now. Like that's been a kind of a hard change because I mean, like I liked going in and having the surprise and, you know, learning from the mistakes. Do you feel like we're kind of going away from you know, learning before the mistakes happened or like, I don't know if that really makes sense, but cause I mean, like, it seems like we learn from, you know, little mistakes here and there. And then we just kind of start putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Is that something that you'd like to see more of is, you know, preparing before the, the you know, the undoubtable mi- mistake happens. Sure. I think that's always the ideal way to do it. You yeah. know, as, as much yeah. as we can strive to yeah. not mess up before it happens, you know, that's always good. And and I think there's just, we have to have that culture of, um, you know, like a constructive, um, you know, disciplinary culture, I guess. And maybe that's the wrong word, but basically when, you know, there are mistakes made, we have to, instead of being punitive about it, it has to be like, Hey, this is, do you understand why this was the wrong yeah. choice? And, yeah. and, and, you know, build some kind of, of that just so that, culture, right? Just yeah. culture. That's a good way to say it. Um, so yeah, I think certainly, um, you know, we try to emulate or try to simulate the, you know, pre-hospital environment through our Sims and all that kind of stuff. And that can really help, uh, to kind of put you in that mode where you have to make a decision mm-hmm. before it's real, you yeah. know? And so you kind of, if you've gone down that algorithm in your head, you, it's a lot easier to have the courage to, take action you know when it when it really is hard right when the screaming parent is there or when you know something real bad uh so i think that's uh, that's an ideal way to do that yeah i uh that actually segues into really a good question and one of the topics that we we kind of thought about talking about tonight is kind of pulling that uh, that figurative trigger on you know when do how do we get in the mindset of you know we have to do this, we need to do it, follow through with it, kind of that task chunking side of things, you see it through to the end, like, what do we miss in that the most part? I mean, like, what are your thoughts on, you know, just the phrase of pulling the figurative trigger more than anything? Yeah, so um, I think it's kind of a continuous process that you have to review. um, and, And so when you're talking about pulling the trigger on something, it's like, you know, I'm going to take that airway. I'm going to yeah. do the intubation or I'm going to, oh shoot, I can't ventilate, can't oxygenate. I'm going to crack this person, yeah. right? Those are the hard ones, right? So um, the west, I think the best approach for that is to have done that before. Yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily physically. Yeah. You know, of course, and if you can say you've done a sim, that's really helpful. But uh, it's in your mind you've been mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. So how often do you have, you know, when you set up for your intubation, do you think, okay, Step A, you know, I'm going to do all my you know, preparation, all the, the things that we do to get ready. If I can't pass the airway, what am I going to do next? Yeah. Okay. And if that fails, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Right. And then you get to that point where, okay, you know, LMA doesn't work mm-hmm. or, you know, I can't ventilate the person, you know, then I'm ready to do the crack. Like you've already pulled that trigger in your mind. So it's yeah. like all about having that done before the actual mm-hmm. decision is made. And there's an interesting 
case about that, and this was a discussion I had recently as well, but if you ever want, um, there's a lot of websites that have posted on this, but uh, there's a, a lady named Elaine Bromley, and you mm-hmm. read the story about what happened to her, and um, the, just to summarize, it was a person that went in to get surgery. It was like a routine procedure, and they had a lot of qualified anesthesiologists and ear, nose, and throat specialists, you know, people who can manage airways yeah. and should be very good at that. Things just went south, like they couldn't get the intubation, and they just kept going, and they kept trying it, and they, you know, they couldn't, um, you know, I, I don't recall if they had a superglottic airway. They they couldn't get anyway. And long story short, you know, one of the at one point, one of the nurses in the OR said they brought out a crike kit, right? Yeah. And then they just no one kind of clicked with that, right? Yeah. Everyone just kind of they didn't have that decision tree ironed out in their head yeah. and so it never came up right and so mm-hmm. this lady developed an anoxic brain injury and you know i believe subsequently passed from that and so certainly no you, i could see that happening to a professional anesthesiologist it could happen to me too yeah. right and it so it happened to to me absolutely so i mean it's like one of those things where you have to you know if you're driving to the call you know 45 year old male cardiac arrest cpr in progress yeah what am i going to do what's my number one priority when i get there you know, you know, apart from making sure the scene's safe, it's like I'm going to be making sure that high quality CPR is taking place. Yeah. I'm going to get the pads on. I'm going to find out what the rhythm is. Get yep. them defibrillated as soon as possible. You know, all those things. You know, if it's a shockable rhythm. Yep. So, you know, um, it's that kind of pre-engagement that happens yeah. in your brain. That's yeah. I think what's the most important. I think you know, and then when you get to that trigger, you're kind of like, I already know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Right. No, the uh, I really like, uh, you know. There's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, will kind of shy away from, you know, like protocol or algorithmic based, you know, practice. But I find a lot of comfort might not be the greatest word for it, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like it helps me down my pathways a little bit more because, you know, I like checklists. I came from an agency that used a checklist for, for a lot of things. And one of them was, you know, just our standard RSI checklist Mm -hmm. and like, at the very bottom, it was basically like you're always prepared for your crike. So you always knew, like, if you got through all of these steps and so many innovation attempts happened and you can't get an airway with, you know, changes of blade size, changes of tube size, changes of provider, then this is what you have to do. Like, those decisions were made in my brain before I even knew, like, what I was getting into at that point. Like, it was that pre-departure, you know, kind of checklist that already kind of happened in my brain. And I don't know. Do you, uh, what do you think about like the algorithmic approaches and the checklist? Do you feel like checklists are going to be a good thing? And, you know, they seem to be getting more popular and, you know, you think, do you see that kind of hitting the wave? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, everybody's brain's a little different, right? And so mm-hmm. I think for the most part, things like that, checklists are very helpful. And I think the algorithms can, can really offload you cognitively. Yeah. I, I think that's another thing I'm a fan of is when you have a hard decision to make. Mm-hmm make the least amount of decisions possible, right? Yeah. So if you've already kind of decided how things are going to roll, you know, when you get to that hard turn in the road, you know, you're you're, you're going to be a lot better off. And so yeah. that's why I'm like, you know, if you're working a pediatric code, you're like, you're not going to be calculating doses. You're going to be pulling out the Braslow, yeah. right? You know, I don't care what the equation is for the ET tube is. Go with what the color says, yeah. right? And so it's I like love that. less decisions. You're better. You're more free to make the hard ones, the yeah. most important ones, right? Yeah. So, um I think that if the algorithm, if you embrace that, I mean, I can understand if your brain just doesn't go that way, mm-hmm. it doesn't work for everybody. I think for generally for most people, it's kind of the ideal way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, which is good. I mean, like, 
you know, I'm glad that you brought up that it's not going to be perfect for everybody because nothing's perfect for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of on a side note here, let's get back to your little bit of a little medical directorship here. I got a kind of a screaming question in the back of my mind or like on the back end, say like we had one of these situations. This actually kind of tailors into it uh, uh, to what we were talking about, about pretty well is like, what are some of the, the unseen battles that you know, you fight for your EMS providers on a day-to-day basis. Like they go and give a report to one of your, one of your partners and they come to you and they're like, Oh, this is the shittiest report from this provider and blah, 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 blah. Like, like how do you go about that? I mean, like what are those, those unforeseen battles that, you know, we take for granted on our end because you know, you're our safety net between everybody. Right. Yeah. So, um, I'll start out by saying, you know, a lot of times I get really great compliments, right? Yeah. Get people are like, hey, your medics did this today. You know, um, they did this awesome code. They got Rosk on this person. They did an excellent job. I get yeah. a lot of that. I yeah. get, I'm not even going to, you know, pretend like that's like actually probably most commonly that's what I get. Okay. And that's, that's awesome because it's like, you know, I hey, it, in a way, like it feels like that's my victory too, right? Yeah. Even though I wasn't there, you know, these are my guys and gals that went out and did it. Yeah. So I'm super happy about that and so like yeah. that's a good part of it now there is a fair amount of complaints too right yeah. and so that's With not what I everything right? right like yeah it doesn't matter what part of a, a healthcare system you work in there's always going to be those complaints so yeah. i mean like not to even just single out like ems agencies alone but you know just like yeah what are those what are those what's that look like yeah i mean it's tough you know <laughs> i get yeah. sometimes a call where like hey can you believe this you know like what yeah. happened you know and I guess my approach is initially I just take the report. I just yeah. listen to the person. A lot of times it's a venting, venting session, yeah. right? Where they're upset about something not even related to the EMS, <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, I was so busy and they kept bringing me people, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, well, that's what their job is, right? Yeah. Like they, they, people call, we all, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's, uh, so a lot of part is just listening, but second, you know, nine times out of 10, there's really not even a problem. It's, yeah. it's a miscommunication most of the time. Right. So it's like, they don't understand protocols. Mm-hmm. They don't understand that we only have a certain amount of meds in our, in our box. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't understand what it looks like on the scene, like what was going on, you know, yeah. how un, unideal, you know, the, the pre-hospital environment can be mm-hmm. a lot of that. Right. And so yeah. nine times out of 10 of that now, you know, 1% of the time there is an issue where I come back to the medic. I'm like, Hey, you know, Let's talk about this. Something mm-hmm. didn't go right. Um, and, you know, I try not to let the doctors gloat about that, yeah. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, I, I look at these people are like, these are good people that want to yeah. come out and work hard. They're trying to do the best thing and they're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think, you know, we need as long as there's nothing malicious going on, it's I use it as a teaching opportunity. and I try to have that in private with, yeah. with the medics once they come back, you know, or mm-hmm. when I can talk to them. So, yeah, I'd say that's kind of how it rolls. Um, there's some people who are perpetually unhappy and I mm-hmm. learn to tune them out, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> never, never really ran into some of those. You know, you know. Luckily for us, we have really awesome physicians in our area. Just, I mean, like that we deal with on a mm-hmm. on a day to day basis. And you know, I've never really ran into those issues before or anything like that. But uh, how do you feel like the receptiveness of feedback is for the EMS provider these days? Do you feel like they're getting more gun shy on on feedback, or you know, taking these as learning lessons? It, it, it might be. Um, I, I haven't really um, thought of it that way. I mean, I think certainly there's discussion on like generational differences and yeah. how people like to receive feedback. Um, I think it's important to 
be receptive to feedback or at least train yourself to be able to accept it because um, it's really hard when you'll have a medic that doesn't want to listen or they get really defensive yeah. um, because it's hard to help them change or be better. And I think that sometimes identifying like, hey, I'm really worried that this doctor's going to think I'm dumb, you know? <laughs> it's like <laughs> if that, you know, getting over that, it's a big thing. Um, so I think there is some changes with that. Um, taking, you know, but I think we can all get past that. I think once you get a little confidence, um, yeah. you know, realize like, hey, you're doing a really good job. Like you've probably mm -hmm. saved a bunch of people, right? Yeah. If the lay person, you know, average Joe sees what you did on a daily basis, they'd be like, dang, dude, like you're a cool guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so um, think of it that way. Right. And so you can always get Love better. That. Yeah. I think, you know, I think about it sometimes too, you know, when I get, you know, if I'm down or have a bad shift, you know, I realize like, hey, I, you know, my college self saw what I was doing yeah I'd be pretty happy right now you yeah know? so I think that's or I think wow I turned out to be a cool guy you know yeah and I of mean, course you forget I mean, that you, hang out, <laughs> you, you forget hang, it you hang out with me so you got to be a pretty cool yeah guy, that's right? right that's right yeah that's true but <laughs> I, you know I think that's that's kind of the attitude you got to have and realize with your you know accepting feedback it's very important and I think you know it is you're really doing yourself a disservice if you can't accept feedback and so yeah that, that'd be something I encourage everyone to work on and I also need to work on that yeah so. I mean like I can't, I mean, in my, ever since, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say ever since. I mean, like in my, my early years, I mean, like it's hard to take that feedback. I mean, yeah. like, cause you feel like you're coming out of school on the top of the world. Like you've got this brain full of fresh knowledge and you don't realize that you forgot half of it by the time that you're actually starting to, yeah. you know, actually practice. So learning how to take feedback and just saying, you know, really appreciate that. And, you know, I didn't think of it that way. And, you know, I really appreciate a lot of those times where, you know, I get those, those moments of feedback, whether it's good and, or, you know, you gotta take your, your little lickings every once in a while, yeah. just like it normally is. But, well, um, I want to piggyback off what you said there, yeah. because, um, I think about like how valuable it is when somebody does give you feedback. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, so many, so we've kind of evolved culturally to be away from like, Hey, you're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or like, yeah. we, we don't say that very much anymore. We don't point things out as much. And so if you have a mentor or somebody who takes the time to correct you on something, yeah. that's extremely valuable. And it's something that, you know, if we could become more receptive to that, how, how much better you can be. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's a, you know, looking at it as, as the true value of what it is, I think is, can really change, you know, how you respond. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, just even like, peer-to-peer -peer stuff too i mean I, it doesn't always yeah. have to even come yeah. from you know a level above you or you know your nurse counterpart or your physician or anything like that just like that uh, that availability to take that feedback positive negative and or just be able to to deliver it is huge i mean like there's so many times that i can think back that i could have changed you know how i could have given feedback or i wish i would have given feedback on on a certain you know call or a topic while training somebody new that I wish I would have known a long, long time ago how valuable it really is because I spent a good part of my, you know, last three years helping train and, you know, prepare new flight paramedics and nurses and critical care providers and really got into a comfortable mode of, you know, having that, you know, kind of formal debrief and, you know, call to call talking about all the good things and then adding some, you know, good clinical value towards mm -hmm. the end and, 
you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. Do you have a favorite way that feedback's delivered? Is there, you know, a specific way that it yeah. should be done? I mean, I've heard of like the reverse the butts type story <laughs> or I way. Think, and, and I think you taught me the sandwich, the feedback sandwich one, you know, where you <laughs> I uh-huh. think you told me that like back, way back when we talked about how you say something yeah. good, then tell them what you need to work yep. on, then finish up something good. <laughs> yeah, you know? yep, the feedback See, sandwich, the sandwich, I remember. I think you taught me that. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I think the best thing is authenticity. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I think if you've worked with someone long enough, you know, a lot of the medics I have now, well, there's a fair amount that have been doing it longer than I've been alive. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah. <laughs> there's a couple, I mean, not really, but they're close. Yeah. Uh, and, but there's uh, some of the medics I've seen from like paramedic school on. Right. Yeah. And so, um, I think it's building a rapport and, and, you know, sort of knowing that, uh, that, building trust with that mm-hmm. person, you know, if they know that, Hey, I can, if Burtis is going to talk to me, you know, I'm, it's going to maybe be not so pleasant for a minute, but then I realize, like, Hey, he actually does have my back at the end of the yeah. day. Then, you know, I think that's the, the best approach and that, that authenticity component. So, yeah, no, which is awesome. And, you know, I kind of want to kind of tailor this out cause we're uh, getting towards about a, about an hour long here. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Isaac and I kind of talked about uh, when we were trying to put together our lecture today was, you know, what is something that you have brought to both of us? Um, and, you know, the in the, the years that we've been working together, and I got a piece of paper here, and it is the good old Dunning-Kruger effect. Can yes. you give us a little bit of a rundown on <coughs> it? Like, what, like, why do you give it to the new paramedic when you do your presentation? Sure. Like, why? What is the Dunning Kruger effect? And just give me your spiel. Yeah. I love it. Sorry if I yeah grab, grab it, okay. it, man. Um, so I kind of got took a liking to this um, this um, the Dunning Kruger effect yeah. um, from I just kind of thought about how as you progress throughout your career, there's like these ebbs and flows of how your you know your confidence and your you know your experience, uh, how, how that kind of affects. And so I think we'll probably be able to share that uh, at some point. But, uh, you know, I notice a lot of people, how often is it that you've gone to a call when a family member comes out of the back room and says, hey, I'm in medicine, I'm in healthcare, yeah. you know? And you're like, and they're like, I've got all these ideas, you're buddy. Like, like uh, how we're going to save this person, you know? I was yeah. a CNA, you know? And you're like, oh gosh, you don't yeah. know crap. <laughs> they tend to be the most confident people around, right? Yeah. So it's funny how when the people with the least experience tend to have the most confidence, right? Yeah. And then to compare that or contrast that to when I was a new doc, you know, some of my first partners, you know, I'd be like, well, hey, you know, I, I think this person's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. And, you know, I, if I was going to bounce that idea off of one of my older partners who had been out for 20 years, yeah. you know, I noticed that they were super cautious about mm-hmm. things, you know, and I thought, wow, why is he, mm-hmm. you know, why is he, I mean, the all the studies say this should be this way or whatever, and it, he, it should be fine. And he's like, well, you know, I've just, I've had it go the wrong way. Yeah. You know, I know what it's like. I know what can go wrong. And so I noticed that um, the experts didn't have that exact, like, foolhardy, mm-hmm. highest level of confidence. You know, people who had been doing it for many years, yeah. like, they tend not to think of themselves as, you know, that they, they don't answer definitively to some things, you yeah. know? And so I noticed that with time. And so, um, what I thought about is, you know, well, the medics that I worry the most about when they come out of FTO, yeah. when they're on their own is the ones that are super cocky. Yeah. Like, Oh dude, like you don't know like what you're, you don't know. Yeah. That's the problem. Right. And so I worry about them going on to, you know, make mistakes or, you know, act hastily. 
And then, you know, I've also seen people who are like the smartest ones, right? And they're like, oh, they just have no confidence at all. And so I noticed that, you know, if you look at the graph, like there's people who like mid-level experience, sometimes they have the least amount of confidence. And I thought that's an interesting thing, how sometimes you you go through this really humbling period where you feel like you don't know Mm -hmm. um, anything. And so it's a, it's a tough rise and, but you never reach that same level of, you know, confidence that, you know, even as an expert. And so I think that's kind of a cyclical thing, you know, like it goes throughout your career, you'll have a bad case and you'll Mm -hmm. feel down. And so I just think that's an interesting um, way to look at your career, uh, you know, with your, your confidence level is going to vary. That doesn't mean that your experience isn't good. It just means like, Hey, you've, you've seen a lot of things. Right. And so you know how, how complicated it can be to take care of a sick patient. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I've kind of hit a little bit of that realm over the, you know, probably the last year because I really kind of got in the strive of like my, you know, my knowledge base and increasing with, you know, um, just all the different courses that I take and preparing for lectures and all this other stuff where like I, I sit there and realize like how much that confidence and competence kind of needs to balance each other out the, the more and more that we kind of move in through this. And there's this kind of this old, old EMS side of things where it's just like, oh, within the the first two years of your career, you're going to be involved in a iatrogenic death or something like that, or you're going to aid in, in in taking someone and you know pushing them down the drain hole. Like, do you think that has any part in the Dunning Kruger, or do you think <laughs> that's just kind of a myth, or like? I sure hope it's a myth. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I, I need to see people. I always yeah. resented that when people are like, oh you know, they killed this guy or whatever yeah. you know, by something. And I mean, true, that does happen. I'm not saying it doesn't, but you know, um, I think that it's, you know, you're going to make mistakes. Right. Yeah. And so like, um, you know, as long as you're doing your best, I think that's all you got, you can do. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's, I think that there's a part of it, you know, you get a little burned sometimes when, you know, you think a case is getting the wrong way or you miss call something where you, you know, maybe a patient's in failure and you give them fluids cause you thought, Oh, I thought something else was going on. I thought yeah. it was sepsis, for example, you know, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff that happens. Um, yeah. and so it's a, I think that has a fair amount of it involved. Like you're hum, it's very humbling yeah. to be a, to be a provider. Uh, yeah. It's hard to call the shots. And I think that's one thing that makes it difficult between nursing and EMS, right? Because mm-hmm. in EMS, you know, you've, you know, similarly, you know, your training level, you know, um, as a nurse, you don't really call the shots that much, yeah. right? Like you do what the doctor orders, right? Well, uh, unfortunately, you know, you have that uncomfortable, like, hey, I'm kind of on my own when you're in the pre-hospital side, yeah. right? And so um, I think that when you have to call the shots and you see sometimes you call the wrong shots, right? And so mm-hmm. that's uh, coming to grips with that. Yeah, I've called the I wrong the shots person. multiple times and, you know, but I've learned from those lessons and I've yeah. moved on and taken those tidbits of information and you know, it's really kind of comforting, you know, from our end to, to hear a, a physician that's been doing it for quite some time, especially in your in your role, you know, talk about these things. Because, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's good. These are good things that people don't get to hear. And, you know, I hope uh, we reach people with this because, you know, these are really good things that we've talked about tonight. And just, you know, the, the comfortableness of that it's okay to make mistakes, that it's, you know, we use them as learning events and we do these things for a reason. And we do our job for very well, uh, 99.999% of the time. But there's also things that we can, you know, that Swiss cheese model can always catch up to us every once in a while. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that, uh, that can go really well. And, you know, a lot of things that can go really wrong if you're not prepared for it at the same time. So, 
Yeah, the the Dunning Kruger effect, because uh, you brought that to me when I was in education over there, because that's what we started to do when we were passing off FTOs and kind of giving them that that experience. How do you think that? Do you did you notice a difference in the paramedics after you started as a medical director with the with any of the agencies or like their their humbleness or their mm. confidence level? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I could almost, I think to some degree I could predict where they're at yeah. <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the, you know, it's a psychological theory, yeah. right? So it's like, you know, it, it does apply. I think it applies quite well. It's not perfect, but you know, I would see a lot of people who are overconfident and those would be the ones I tend to watch very closely because yeah. they were, you know, I'm like, well, you know, yeah. again, you don't know what you don't know kind yeah. of thing. So I think I've seen that. And then I've also seen, you know, some of the mid career people kind of in a slump and, you know, I like yeah. to say it for those reasons because I'm like, look at all the experience you have. Like yeah. you're actually really knowledgeable and you do know a lot. Um, I just think your confidence is down and that's something that happens. Yeah. Right. It's a normal thing. Yeah. How do you go about building that confidence back up? I think, uh, you know, um, I think it's something that has to happen internally to some degree, but I think to help facilitate that is, you know, expressing confidence, yeah. right. Saying like, you know, Hey, I, appreciate what you've done i appreciate the things you've done or and and you know reckon pointing out when they do good things right yeah. you know because i think people tend not to always focus on their um the positive things that they've done or what you know so i try to bring that to the front and express gratitude and i think that can really help uh you know from a medical director to a paramedic i think that does help yeah build no, confidence again absolutely so with that and confidence boosting we're gonna go ahead and uh, start wrapping up here we got one last uh, little thing uh, before we do our wrap up, as per usual, we got one final question for you. What uh, what kind of words of wisdoms do you have, either for the paramedic, the new medical director, you know, uh, ER doc that's going to be dealing with paramedics a lot? What a, what kind of words of wisdoms you got? Um, I think probably you know to speak to that broad audience, it's like communication and appreciation. Yeah, uh, because you know realize that the pre-hospital providers, the medics, the EMTs, uh, they are in a really uncontrolled environment and they're doing a very hard job. Yeah. A lot of them aren't paid well enough for what they do. Yeah. You know, they're sleep deprived just like the doctors. And so I think, um, building each other up is a, is a big part of it. You know, I think that, um, the ideal scenario is when the, the ER staff, the, the hospital and mm -hmm. the EMS embrace each other because we're on the same team. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's, uh, having good communication and expressing gratitude to each other, I think really goes a long way. And I think that's how we make careers that are long and satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So Chuck, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you. you coming yeah. down. I really appreciate you being a part of this. I mean, yeah. like, uh, you know, I guess we didn't really even tell anybody that, uh, Dr. B's our, our medical director here at standby for tone. So, you know, we're excited to have you, man. Yeah. Like we're very grateful for you and, you know, you're going to, You've uh, helped us a lot <laughs> in in the short amount of time that we've been doing this, just from, you know, random text messages, phone calls, and sure. then agreeing to come and put ourselves out every once in a while. So we look forward to having you back. And, uh, you know, one of these times we'll have to, you know, do a case review or something like that, do something a little, little off the cuff yeah. here and uh, dive deep into some fun medicine and things like that. But uh, again, man, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. So everybody, I'm going to start my outro music because isaac's not here to remind me to do things thank you so much for joining us uh we look forward to having chuck back with us again we'll uh, we're going to try and schedule these probably once a quarter as we're getting getting going here and 
you know, like we, uh, you probably saw our Facebook post. Uh, if you have any uh, burning questions for the medical director or anything like that that you want answered at a higher level, please feel free to call us, uh, shoot a message to us, use our uh, our info at standbyfortones.com email. There's so many ways that you can get a hold of us. It's not even funny. We have more emails than we can even imagine. Uh, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, all the fun things, and check out our content when you get a chance. Thank you all so much, and have a great day.